Good morning, South Langley Church. My name is Daryl, and I'm the loud pastor this morning. I think you can hear me? Mike's working great. Thank you for uh, indulging in a little different order for the service this morning. And some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, like I had a choice. <clears throat> but you're still here, and it's going to be good. So appreciate that. And thank you also for participating in the little writing exercise that we did a few moments ago uh, with Dave. And we'll come back to that uh, at the end of the message. So what does it mean to feel powerless? It means to be stuck, to feel helpless, and even to feel hopeless, among a number of other words that we could insert there. The good news is that we have a God who hears, who cares, who understands. And in those moments of powerlessness, he reaches down and he touches us. Now, we've all had times where we feel powerless, and I think it would be safe to say that those are not enjoyable times for the most part. We don't feel good in those moments. And I would like to share one of my most powerless moments some of you have heard bits of this story, but I'm going to come at it this morning from uh, the perspective of powerlessness and uh, just uh, allow you to see a little bit of some of the things that I have dealt with in this whole area. And then we're going to talk about what does this prayer mean and how do we have the hope of Christ in us. So it was back in 2007. Uh, I was in my 10th year at Peace River Bible Institute up in northern Alberta, and things have been going really well. But... I had been, as we say, burning the candle at both ends, and it finally caught up with me. I was exhausted, I was tired, uh, a lot of stuff was starting to manifest in my own life, and uh, I hit a wall. I kind of came to the end of myself. And it was Christmas of that year that uh, I had an emotional breakdown at my parents' place uh, right here in Langley. And it was not pleasant, uh, it was not good. I wasn't sleeping, I couldn't fall asleep, I couldn't stay asleep. I was uptight about everything, I was just anxious and just a lot of turmoil. And on top of that, I couldn't even imagine going back for the beginning of January to start second semester at the college. Well, what do you do? Well, being who I am, I pushed through. Because that's what you do, right? Especially for us men, just, I'm just going to keep going. I, I can do this. But things got worse. And in mid-March, the president of our college came to me and said, Daryl, you need to take a leave of absence. That was one of the hardest things I've, I've heard. And uh, he says, you need to leave for three months and, uh, and get things dealt with. Uh, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I felt deeply humiliated. How do you tell your students and staff that you've got to leave in the middle of a semester? And it was also during this time, to add to the whole turmoil that I was in, that we found out that my dad's cancer had returned and he wasn't doing well. And that was something that I wasn't prepared to deal with. Now, if there's a good part in this, obviously now I wasn't working, so I was able to come down here to Langley uh, for six weeks and uh, spend time with my mom and dad. But those were some of the toughest moments of my life, and some of you maybe can identify with this. Uh, I felt, maybe like some of you have felt, you know, where you pray, you cry out to God, 
and you just feel like there's no answer. Or maybe you've been in this kind of a feeling situation where, you know, you're with people, but you feel isolated and alone. Like I had nowhere to turn and uh, no one to really talk to. That wasn't the truth, but that's how I felt in my weakened state. I prayed, I wrestled with God, sometimes even out in the garage, screaming and yelling and crying out to God, why? I was not in a good place, and I felt so alone and so abandoned. I felt absolutely powerless for myself in the situation that I found myself in, in my emotional depletedness, but I also felt completely powerless because where my dad was at with his health journey and watching him deteriorate. Those six weeks before he passed away at home were definitely some of the hardest that I've ever faced. Now, for someone who likes to be in control, and many of you can identify with that, there was nothing that I could do except cry out to God in prayer. And honestly, sometimes those prayers were pretty messy. But here's what I discovered. In my powerlessness, God was still in control. In my helplessness, he offered hope. In my anger and frustration, he wasn't offended. In fact, more than once, I felt his gentle arms around me, just loving me, holding me, assuring me that I wasn't alone. In short, God met me where I was at. He gave me the strength in my inner being. And over time, he also brought emotional healing. Now maybe some of you can relate to what I've just shared. Maybe you're feeling powerless this morning because you have prayed and prayed for something and nothing has changed. You've given up. Or maybe you aren't even much of a praying person because you just really don't see the point to pray. You can handle things on your own. Or maybe your prayer life is alive and doing well. And you just need a word of encouragement this morning and a reminder of the power of prayer. Wherever you are at on that spectrum, as we explore this incredible prayer from Ephesians chapter 3 that Anna just read for us, I believe that there's going to be something in this prayer for all of us to take away today. Because prayer is the way that God invites us into a living, vibrant relationship with himself. He does care. He does hear. And he does love. Even sometimes when we don't feel that his presence is with us. He gives us some amazing promises in this passage that we're going to look at this morning. And I do think it's also very fitting that we come to this passage in Ephesians at the end of our 40 days of prayer and fasting. How did we do? How did God do? Did we see him move in power? Well, we're continuing our sermon series through the book of Ephesians, and Paul is writing to these early believers in this city, encouraging them to stand firm in the faith. And as we've learned earlier, Ephesus was considered a hub or a center of Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. It was one of the largest cities. It was a metropolis. Lots of stuff was going on in that city. And by way of review, let me just remind you 
Dave took us through Acts chapter 19 in our first sermon in this series, that uh, there was a number of sorcerers who played a part in, in Acts chapter 19. These were people who had become followers of the way. In other words, they'd become Christians. And at one point, they gathered all their sorcery, witchcraft scrolls into a big pile, and they burned them publicly. And the estimates by today's standards would have been about $6 million worth of paraphernalia. So this was no small fire. And that was the choice that they made. Then, of course, remember the Ephesian goddess Artemis, who was worshipped at that time in Ephesus. There was the temple of Ephesus, which we saw, this magnificent structure. And in that, Artemis was worshipped as goddess, supreme being with divine power. And if you remember from Acts 19, during the riot involving Paul, the people were shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And to give you an idea of what these Christians would have been up against, I came across this interesting statement that was written in the first century around the time of Paul and the Ephesians. And here's how it goes. The reverence of the Ephesian goddess did not come solely from her ability to be sympathetic and involved in the human problems and predicaments of her worshipers. This aspect of her character was equally matched in the eyes of her worshipers by her transcendent power. To those who called upon Artemis, she was savior, lord, and queen of the cosmos. She was a heavenly goddess whose being and character could only be described in the highest degree of terms. I just marveled when I read that. Such a powerful perspective these Ephesians had of their, their goddess. And so maybe you see the similarity between their reverence for the goddess Artemis and these early Christians' reverence for the Christian God. And the conflict to stand strong must have been incredible. And I would suggest at some level they would have felt powerless, very insignificant against a culture that was worshiping uh, this type of so-called power. And I believe then that's why Paul writes so much in the book of Ephesians on this concept of power. Because it's in the midst of their powerlessness that he prays for these Christians to stand firm. And that's what we want to explore together this morning. Uh, our passage is the second in the two prayers in the book of Ephesians. And uh, a few weeks ago, Caleb walked us through the first prayer in chapter 1 on Thanksgiving Sunday, if you recall. Now, both prayers are very closely related, especially when it comes to this matter of power. And we're going to explore that even further this week in life groups, and remind you, if you're not in a life group, uh, to consider joining one. Uh, there's information on the bulletin board out in the back of those doors. You can sign up uh, through our church center app or at the welcome center. Uh, just really encourage you to get involved in a life group. You won't regret it. So, Paul's prayer here in chapter 3 can be broken into, into three parts. And our first part I'm calling the approach. And to begin, we notice that Paul addresses or he approaches God in prayer with a posture of submission. If you have your Bibles or your 
your phones or you can follow along on the screen. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees before the Father. Now, this is not intended to suggest that every time we pray, we need to be on our knees. I think it's fair to say we certainly should be approaching God with reverence and respect in our prayers. But it is worth noting that the Jews of this time rarely prayed in any other posture than standing. And so the fact that Paul says he's kneeling models an attitude of humility before God. And that suggests that's how we should approach God as well, in humility and with respect. Years ago, uh, I remember reading this. I don't know. I couldn't find where, where I got this from. It might have been from my dad. Uh, but someone once said that our prayers are often like crashing into God's presence with our list of requests rather than coming humbly on our knees with an attitude of reverence. Crashing into God's presence. So let me ask us, how would you describe your approach to prayer? Do you come humbly and with respect? Or is it more like crashing into his presence? And Paul continues in the next verse, 15, with an interesting phrase, which I think the NIV makes a little clearer than our NLT version. He says, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, in the ancient world, a name was not just something you called a person. It was not just how you identified someone. It was connected to their very inner being, to the true nature of who that person was. We're going to say more about the inner nature here in a minute. When we come into God's family, we are given a new name and a new identity. We become children of God. But there's something else going on in this verse. Paul has taken a direct shot at these so-called powers being worshipped in Ephesus. Now, in magical practices, uh, and power was often obtained by calling on a name. And most often, this name would have been an evil spirit. And that's why back in chapter 1, verse 21, in the first prayer, Paul makes a clear reference to Christ being supreme with these words. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. In other words, Father God is the creator of all names. Only he has the supreme right to name the name that we should call upon, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. No other name needs to be invoked. No other name needs to be invoked. So do you see why we can approach God in prayer with confidence? It's because of what Christ has done for us. This is, in fact, what Paul writes a few verses earlier in our passage that we looked at last week in 3 verse 12. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Does this motivate you to pray? I mean, think of it this way. There is no fear of hostile powers standing in the way when we approach God. We are part of his family, and he welcomes us 
to come into his presence, and we can come with boldness and confidence. His power is stronger than any opposing forces. So what if we approached God with that attitude? Would it change our prayer life? This morning as you came in, you should have received one of these little yellow slip handouts with your bulletin. Uh, if you didn't get one, uh, ushers, maybe if people need one, you can pop up your hand. We're going to be referring to this uh, throughout the sermon. We're not going to read this copy. This is a version for you to take home with you. I'll say more about that later. Uh, we're going to read an adapted version kind of responsibly as a, as a congregation. And after each section, I'm going to lead us through uh, a part of this prayer that we are going to pray together as congregation. So it's up on the screen, and you can look on your handout. It's similar, just doesn't have the blanks. So let's read this prayer together in response to our approach to God. Father, we approach you knowing that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You have chosen us before the creation of the world. You have adopted us into your family. You know us and call us by name. You have purchased our freedom through the blood of your Son. You have forgiven our sins. You have loved us in ways we will never fully understand. Father, we approach you now, knowing all this is completely true of you. So how might you incorporate this first part of Paul's prayer into your own prayer life this week? So that's section one. The next section Paul comes to is what I'm calling ask. And this is the section where Paul begins to name some specific things that he is asking God for. Specifically, what we need to do to help us overcome our powerlessness. And Paul is saying, he summarizes, and I'm wrapping it up into two very simple statements. We need Christ living in us, and we need Christ's love flowing through us. And I'm going to suggest, if there is ever a recipe to overcome powerlessness, this is it. I know that oversimplifies it a little bit, but I think this is a good recipe to overcome powerlessness. And we see this, first of all, in Christ living in us. Paul's request, look at what he prays in verse 16. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. It's like Paul is saying, I pray for God to power you with power. That's really how that could be translated. To power us with power. Now, there are several Greek words that are used for power. But the one used here is the one that's often connected with God's very nature, his divine power. And that's the word dunamis. And it simply means power, strength, or ability. I find that amazing and encouraging. We have the power of God in us. And that's exactly what we saw, again, back in Paul's first prayer, where he says in verse 1, 1 verse 20, this is the same mighty power, dunamis, that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms. When was the last time you woke up in the morning and prayed, Lord, today I want you to power me with power? Wouldn't that be amazing? We can do that. We can pray to ask for God to power us with power. 
And I'm sure that it will make a, a big difference in our outlook and our approach and how we go through our day. So think about this question for a moment. Where do we feel powerless? And we've all felt powerless. Paul tells us. He says it's in our inner being. The NIV makes it a little clearer uh, than the NLT translation. It's in our inner being. Remember we said earlier that this phrase is connected to our name or to our identity. It's a reference to the very core of our personhood. It's our thoughts. It's our will. It's our emotions. I mean, think about it. Isn't this where we feel powerless? In our inner being? Our thoughts become tangled. Our emotions kick into high gear. Our ability to make wise decisions goes right out the window. We feel messed up, and it's in our inner being. That's why Paul prays for strength and empowerment in their inner being, because he knows that is where we are weak. And this is the same concept that Paul addresses in the very next verse, where he says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. His home in your hearts. Now, if that sounds a little familiar, it should. We've seen that phrase before back in the Gospel of John through our series. We're in chapter 1, verse 14. John writes, The word, Jesus, became human and made his home among us. It's the word dwell, or tabernacle, or temple. It's where we actually get the concept when we talk about someone inviting Jesus into their heart. That's where this concept comes from. Jesus comes and takes up residence in our inner being through his Holy Spirit. Well, do you think this would have encouraged those Ephesian Christians in that, those moments of powerlessness? because they certainly needed strengthening in their inner being, in their hearts. And I think that's why one of the key phrases in the book of Ephesians, as well as in several other letters that Paul writes, is the little phrase that you've heard before, Christ in you. And it comes over and over and over again in Paul's writings. It's in the midst of all spiritual oppression, the focus on the supernatural, those things that we wrestle with. That's where Paul is empowering these believers to hold on to the fact that they are not alone. It's very similar to what Jesus promised his disciples in the Gospel of John when he said, unless I go away, I can't send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Paul is now sharing this same idea with these believers in Ephesus, the fact that Christ lived in them through his Holy Spirit, giving them power to face all that was being thrown at them. The same holds true for us as his children today. If we have surrendered our lives to Christ and are walking with him in obedience, Scripture says his spirit lives in us as well. And that's why we can hold on to one of my favorite verses from 2 Peter. By his divine power, there's that word, dunamis, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So maybe you're feeling powerless this morning in some way. Maybe it's something that you wrote down. Maybe you're feeling weak in your inner being. It's in moments like that 
where God's divine power can meet us and give us the strength and hope in our inner being. I felt powerless last Tuesday. I'd been working on this sermon all day and just really feel like I hit a wall. Uh, my inner being was not feeling very strong. I felt frustrated. I was tired. I actually felt like chucking the thing out the window and starting all over. And then on top of that, I remembered that I had committed to attend the prayer meeting that night at church. I thought, oh, I'm just going to bail. And then I realized, well, wait a minute, I'm a pastor. Pastors can't bail, can they? So I went. And boy, am I glad I did. Someone in the group that night, without knowing what I had been struggling with that day, prayed very specifically. I mean, so specific, using words that I had been wrestling with all day in their prayer for me that evening. I was encouraged and strengthened in my inner being. That's the power of prayer and the Holy Spirit working in us. And I wonder if that's what these early Christians were experiencing as they read Paul's prayer for power in their inner being. So take a look again at your handout. It will be on the screen. The first half of this uh, prayer of ask, and let's read it together. You are a loving father who delights to give good gifts to his children. And so we ask that from your glorious unlimited resources that you would empower us with inner strength through your spirit. Specifically, Father, we ask that you would strengthen us in our inner being in order for us to understand more of the truths of your gospel. Help us to also understand more of the depths of our sin and our need for Jesus. Father, we also ask that you would increase our faith in order that we might experience Christ's presence as we walk with you today. How might you incorporate that part of Paul's prayer in your prayer life this coming week? The second part of Paul's request is for Christ's love to flow through us, to experience that love in a real tangible way. But here's where it gets interesting. Christ's love flows through us, but Paul says that love is too great for us to understand. I think I missed one part of the slides. So that's okay, just skip ahead. Christ's love is too great for us to even understand or comprehend. Look at his wording. He says, though it, that is the love of Christ, is too great to understand fully. So what, what's going on here in this verse? Well, to understand that, we need to jump back to verse 18, which you have on, on the screen there now. Paul says, and may you have power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. In the Greek, these four dimensions are not specifically connected to anything. It's kind of like they're just floating, hanging out there. Now, some translations connect it to God's incredible power. Some connect it to God's infinite wisdom. And others, like our NLT translation, uh, connect it to the love of Christ, as we read here in verse 18. I believe Paul is trying his very best to explain something about Christ's nature that 
he can't come up with any words to explain. And the only thing he can think of is these four dimensions, wide, long, high, and deep. That's how he describes Christ's limitless love for us. And that's the power of prayer. When we come to Christ in prayer through the power of the Spirit, there's a lot more that we could say about these four dimensions, but you'll get to tackle that in life group this week. And by the way, if I didn't mention, I encourage you to consider joining a life group if you haven't already. You'll be looking at four other passages that use this dimension language and uh, discovering what the parallels are. But as I studied this prayer, and particularly this verse, this concept, I asked myself, why does Paul pray in verse 18, this specific phrase? So think about for a moment, where do we turn when we feel powerless? We said we felt powerless in our inner being, but where do we turn when we feel powerless? Most of us, if we're honest, have our comfort places or our comfort methods, and you know what I mean. These are the places that we go to or things that we do to escape those feelings in our inner being. We may turn to food. We may turn to channel surfing on TV. We may turn to shopping for things that we don't really need. Maybe it's oversleeping when there are things that desperately need to get done, but we just don't feel we have the strength to face them. Or maybe it's social media watching, scrolling endlessly through, if we're really honest, a lot of stuff that's quite meaningless. Or maybe for some, it might be the misuse of alcohol or prescription drugs as a means of escape. How do these generally work for us? They don't, because none of them really address our inner needs, where that powerlessness really takes place. And Paul is saying there is something so much better. What if rather than turning to these comforts, we turn to the source of all comfort, the love of Christ? The kind of love that is so great, it can't be described. Why not turn to the source of true comfort. And as we do that, notice what Paul says at the end of his prayer in verse 19. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Who doesn't want the fullness and power of God in their life? If you're not experiencing that at this time, maybe you need to examine where you are turning to when you feel powerless. Maybe it's time to change the way you pray. Have you experienced the deep, deep love of Christ? Or is it still only a concept that you know about but haven't really felt in your inner being? If you don't know that love, or if you need a fresh experience of this love, why not ask for that today? At the end of the service, we will have people up the side here that would love to pray with you. I would be more than willing to sit down and pray with you as well. Uh, welcome the opportunity. Why not make that decision today to really experience the love of Christ? Well, back to our handout. The second half of, of this part of Paul's prayer, let's read together this ask section. Father, we ask you to give us the power to understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Jesus. 
May we experience a fresh touch of this limitless love, even though it is too great to understand fully. We pray for the enabling power of Christ's love to flow through us as we seek to be a blessing to those around us. Finally, Father, we ask that you would make us complete through Christ, that you would fill us with all the fullness of life and power that comes from you. We pray for that abundant life to be ever-present in us as you fill us with greater thoughts of you. So how might you incorporate that part of Paul's prayer into your prayer life this week? The third and final section of this prayer is what I call adore. Paul began his approach with reverence and worship. He now ends with an outburst of praise and adoration. Look what he says. Now all glory to God. What else is there left to pray? Who is more worthy of glory and praise than the almighty creator and sustainer of the universe? And notice how he brings it right back to this issue of power where he says, through his mighty power, dunamis, at work within us. I don't know if you've noticed, but this whole prayer has been about God's work in us and not ours. In fact, the only thing that we have responsibility for is faith or trust in verse 17, depending on which translation you use. And that's what I love about this prayer. It's a reminder that apart from God, we have nothing. It's because of the power of Christ flowing through us that we can overcome our powerlessness. Do you ever wonder if prayer matters to God? Do our prayers have power? Absolutely. And we know that because God's mighty power is at work in us. As Paul says in verse 20, that uh, he's praying that God will accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Infinitely more than we would ask or think. I want to pray like that. Do you? How have we seen God work these past 40 days? Has he accomplished more than we can ask or think? Have we experienced his power? Look at the last part of your handout, and uh, let's read this together. And now, Father, may you receive all glory, honor, and praise for you alone are worthy of all worship and adoration. We offer up these prayers to you, knowing that you are able to do far more than anything we could ask or even imagine. It is only because of your mighty power at work in our inner being that we are able to accomplish all that you have set before us to accomplish. May you be glorified in your body, the church, and in Jesus Christ, from whom all blessings flow. May you be praised yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever and ever, throughout all eternity. Amen. How might you incorporate that part of Paul's prayer into your prayer life this week? So let me ask you again, as I invite the worship band to come forward, <clears throat> where do you feel powerless this morning? And where are you turning to deal with those feelings? Do you believe God is big enough to take you through what you're struggling with, to carry you? It was in the midst of my powerlessness that God met me. He was there. And no, the pain, the hurt, the grief didn't just disappear. Circumstances didn't suddenly fix themselves. My dad was not physically healed. But through it all, 
I knew I was loved and cared for. And we have prayed faithfully these past 40 days for Vonnie, Donna, Cameron, and many others that are on your prayer list and mine. Just because God didn't do a miraculous healing, at least to the point that we know, doesn't mean that he wasn't there. In fact, we have heard several testimonies by all three of these individuals over the last number of weeks of how they have felt God's love and presence, and yes, even strengthening in their inner being. That's the power of God. And we don't stop praying now because 40 days is over. We don't understand why there isn't always healing, but we can trust God in his power to give us what we need in those moments of powerlessness. And I want to encourage you this morning as we leave from here to take this suggested sample of prayer into this coming week. Pray it every day. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for others by inserting their name into those blanks. Some of you pray this way already. That's great. But I challenge you to do it. And then watch what God's going to do. And I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email or give me a call as to what you're experiencing as you pray this power prayer. And then don't stay with just one week. Make it an ongoing practice. Use your own prayers. Experiment. And why not try another 40 days? Amen.